It is fun to be involved in the Great Commission and seeing people be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you notice that I still needed to wear the name tag during the baptism in case I forgot who I was? So just before I dismiss Bridge Kids, let me draw your attention to this. This is the very first Grow Forward newsletter that you got by email yesterday, right? Some of you did. Some of you haven't checked yet. And so uh, there are a couple of hard copies out in the lobby, but uh, we're going to be sending you these regularly in the days ahead. And uh, this is some really good work by our chair of communications, Kyle Tobias. So uh, appreciate him for all that he's doing to serve the bridge. Bridge kids, you are dismissed. So uh, the rest of us here are going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we are going to land the plane and finish the book. Landing the plane is one of those terms that my wife uses for me to finish the sermon. And so we are going to finish the book. So have you ever purchased anything online? You know, just come on. Have you ever purchased it? All right, it's a little more like it. It was about 20 years ago that I purchased uh, airline tickets for the very first time. It was a very risky deal. I wanted cheap tickets, and uh, so I got some cheap tickets. And I was pretty f- fearful that somehow if I gave them money, they wouldn't give me the ticket. But I did get the real ticket, and I was able to fly. A couple of years ago, I bought a six-pack of Carhartt work socks online because they were way cheaper than Farm and Fleet, which is one of my favorite stores. So when you shop online, you first read the description of the advertiser. What are they, what is this? What are they saying that's good about this? And then you uh, read the product reviews, right? You want to hear what people are saying. So here's what Carhartt said about their socks. Our cotton crew work socks give you extra cushioning and toughness you need to work hard all day long. Premium cotton provides soft comfort and the full reinforcement that means the socks will hold up wear after wear. Sounds good. So next, you got to read the customer reviews. So Wayne from Oklahoma writes... These socks are good-looking. They wear like iron. They have ample padding in the heel. It will surprise me if I buy another brand. D.D. from Dallas writes, I can't believe how comfortable these socks are. I can wear them all day, and they are still comfortable. They are perfect for me. Highly recommended for exclamation points. And, you know, when you read these reviews online, we see people are not ashamed to share their personal experience and the impact that these products have on them. Essentially, customer reviews are just personal stories about the products and how that impacts the customer's life. Experts claim that 85% of shoppers trust customer reviews. 
Think about this. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people share their personal experience online. For us, Jesus is not a product for sale. And we know that. He is way more than that. Yet, why is it as Christ followers we find it so difficult to share our personal stories about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Why is it so hard to share how Jesus has impacted our lives? Today in Luke 24, uh, we're going to continue to see the impact that Jesus made on his followers uh, in Luke 24. And we begin with the great surprise, Luke 24, beginning at verse 36. Luke 24, beginning at verse 36. Verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is my, I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked him, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. So we begin with the great surprise. And uh, his appearance is in verse 36 and 37, what we just read. It's uh, verse 36, while they were still talking about this. Well, what was it that they were talking about when Jesus entered the room? And of course, we'll see that in the context. If you just go back to verse 33, um, it says they got up and returned once to Jerusalem. This, these are the two disciples that Jesus encountered, or they encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They found the 11 disciples without Judas, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. So it's starting to sink in among the disciples that the story... For, you know, on Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. The women went, and um, the tomb was empty. And an angel spoke to them and said, he's not here, he's risen. And then Peter, skeptical, runs to the tomb, and John follows and into the tomb, and the tomb is empty. And later, Jesus will appear to Peter. Verse 35, then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So the disciples who are in Jerusalem, maybe even the same place where uh, they, they experienced the Last Supper with Jesus, the disciples are talking about it's true Jesus has risen. And you know what? They do not have any categories for that. They don't have a clue what this means or what it's about, but they're talking about a concept. It's very new to them. 
So now Jesus appears in Jerusalem to a larger group. He, he himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Uh, verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So here, here's the disciples uh, talking about the resurrection. They had not expected the resurrection. I don't think we can say that enough. There was such a disappointing attitude that went over the disciples at the death of Christ. They were shocked when Jesus appeared to them. They are frightened. You would think this would be welcoming, right? And they are frightened of Jesus' appearance. John adds this in John chapter 20, verse 19. He says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. You see, the doors were locked on that night. They were afraid they would be caught, that they would be discovered, and maybe they would be arrested. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So John lets us know that uh, the disciples locked the doors, and Jesus has just broken through their security. And apparently, he just walked right through the wall. Now, I don't know much about resurrection bodies, but I know that Jesus' resurrected body did not have human limitations. I do not walk through walls. I have a hard enough time walking through doors when they're open. <laughs> really a harder time when they're closed, and if they're locked, I'm in real trouble. So this is due to the nature of his resurrected body. Verse 38 and 39, his first proof, he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. It's me. It's Jesus. Touch me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So Jesus offers uh, comfort. He says, Peace be with you. You know, they were, anything he said was probably going to scare them. They're probably going to jump. And he seeks to calm their distress, and he engages their doubt uh, with proof about his resurrection. He wants to show them, it's really me. I am the one they nailed to the cross. See my hands. See my feet. I am the one. You were there. You saw it. Ghosts don't have flesh. And you want to see my bones? Hey, here, I'm... I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm the one they nailed to the cross. Touch me. Then he gives a second proof in verses 40 through 43. When he had said this, verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet. That's the first proof. Verse 41, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, these are confused disciples. Uh, they are fearful and joyful at the same time. They are fearful and joyful, and they're in amazement. They are a bit confused. You know, this is kind of a male thing, I think. As I thought about this, I think if the women had been, if the disciples had been women, if the 11 had been women on this occasion, they would have intuitively, intuitively recognized Jesus without a, a second thought. But see, the men are confused. Uh, they have become emotional. 
You know, most men are left side brain, most women are right side brain, and the, and the emotional side is right. And the cool, logical, reasonable, practical is left side. The, the disciples are in this right side, and they're very uncomfortable here. They're confused, they're fearful, and now they have the facts. Jesus is present. They're joyful, and they're amazed, and they still don't believe. I think the women, oh, Jesus, welcome. It would have been intuitive. They would have just gotten it, left side, right side, all at once. I know, you don't, you don't see that difference between husbands and wives. Uh, verse uh, 42, uh, uh, verse 41, and while they still did not believe, because of the joy and amazement, they still didn't believe. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Here comes the second proof. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and, and they took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus did not need the food. I don't think he was hungry. He wanted them to see he was just like before. He ate before them just like he always did. Verses 44 through 49, we come to a unique section. I'm calling it the Great Commission. And here is his reminder, verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Do you remember these things? While I was still with you, that's before my death. Back in the upper room, back in the days that led up to that, while I was still with you, I am no longer with you in that way. There is a big transition happening, and it's going to be different. But remember, I told these things while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And Jesus is referring to all of the Old Testament that pointed to him. There are many passages that do. He said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. That's what he'd been teaching all along. He had, he had sought to prepare them for these things early in his ministry. Like going back to Luke 9.22. Luke 9.22, this is early in his ministry. And he said to them, the Son of Man, referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. You know, back then they had no clue what he was talking about. They didn't even know he was important enough to be rejected by the religious leaders of Israel. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to a new life. He's going to be executed. He's going to be resurrected. Jesus told them really early in the ministry. And then Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. And I'm sure there were many times that he talked about this. But this is uh, late in ministry. This is toward the last month of his life. Jesus took on the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. This is his last trip. He's going to be crucified. And he knows what's coming. And he's trying to help them to get ready. We're going up to Jerusalem. 
Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Next slide. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. And here's where we are. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. They did not know what he was talking about. They were clueless. I would have been too. It was hidden from them. He told it to them. It's just like it went right over the top. By the way, how many things do you hear in a day that you can't remember? I'd hate to say how many times I've heard my wife tell me something important. And maybe I nodded my head. I don't know. But I didn't remember it later. But this was hidden. This was in, God intentionally hid this from um, the disciples. And then comes his commission, uh, verse 45 through 49. Then he opened their minds so they could understand this scripture. Jesus is the one who gave them insight. Jesus enabled them to understand the scriptures. And, you know, that's the same today for us. We need God to help us understand the scriptures. When you read the scripture, ask God to give you wisdom. Ask him to help you understand. If you desire to know God's word, and I'm assuming that means you're, you intentionally uh, pursue it by reading it, ask God to guide you. Ask God to show you, and he will. And he'll help you put things together that you didn't see before. And we need God to help us understand the scriptures. And Jesus opened the scriptures to his followers. Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So remember in the first century, the common uh, mindset in the Jewish religious culture, I would even say political culture, is that they saw this promised leader of the Old Testament they called Messiah, God's special one, and he was going to come and he was going to kill all their enemies and he was going to bring them peace and happiness and stuff. That's their idea of what God had promised. And they had missed all about the suffering. And, you know, last week we talked about this a little bit. That's sometimes what we do in Christianity today. We, we want God to do all the great things, and we miss the suffering that Scripture talks about and how God uses that to advance His kingdom, to help us grow, for other people to see how God works through suffering. And then 47, here comes the gospel. And he says, this is what is written, Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins, and he was resurrected. And that's good news because it proves his victory over sin and death. And when we engage, when we embrace him by faith, we receive the gospel. We receive the message of his salvation. And, and verse 47 it says, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
repentance. This is the Great Commission. Repentance means to change your mind. It means to change your thinking. And for the first century, it was about change your mind about who you think Jesus is because he is the one, he's the only one who can save. He is God's promised one. To change your thinking, it means to turn to God according to truth. Now, truthfully, if you've been around me very long, you don't hear me say you need to repent. And one of the reasons I'm cautious is about how confusing this is to our culture. It wasn't confusing in the first century Israel. When John the Baptist said repent, people knew what he was talking about. I think it's often misunderstood and confusing for our culture. Some Christians communicate that to repent means you've got to stop sinning before you come to God. Now that's really confusing because I think it's totally impossible for a person to stop sinning before they come to God. What I need is I, and this is what I needed because this was really a big deal with me and I'll just tell you the story again. So one of the biggest issues that I faced when I was contemplating at the age of 25 whether I wanted to become a follower of Christ or not was do I have to stop smoking to become a Christian? And I kept asking that question. Do I have to stop smoking? Some Christians thought I needed to. And if I needed to stop smoking, I knew that I would fail. I also knew that I was enslaved to pornography, and I, w- I couldn't walk away from that without failure. I was not going to become a Christian if that's what it means to become a Christian. But fortunately, the people who were sharing the gospel with me were very clear. No, it's not about you stopping smoking. Now, I didn't even talk about pornography in front of them. It's not about you stopping smoking. It's about what you think of Jesus. Will you place your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you and paid for the penalty of your sins? Okay, that makes sense to me. And I said, well, if I become a Christian, do I have to stop smoking? And they said, well, that's not between uh, you and us. That's between you and Jesus. If Jesus wants you to stop smoking, I think he'll let you know. And if he does, he'll help you. And I thought about that. That makes sense to me. So I placed my faith in Christ. Four days later, I asked God to help me stop smoking. And that was uh, 45 years ago. And I never did again. And um, it was in about that same time. It was, actually, it was the very next day. I threw out all of my pornography. Now, I wouldn't be honest if I said I never experienced a struggle. But that was a huge turn in my life in 19, back in the day, <laughs> 45 years ago. Okay, so, um, so an unbeliever doesn't have the power to stop sinning. An unbeliever needs to be converted to Christ before they have power to turn their lives around and to follow Christ. It's impossible without Christ. Um, 
An unbeliever needs to embrace Jesus first through faith and then recognize that Christ died for all of their sins, that he paid it all. There's nothing I can do. It's not about my performance. I cannot clean up my act and come to God. Luke 24, 47 is the message of the gospel to be preached in the name of Jesus for all the nations. And I guess I... uh, So this is another important part of the gospel. It's for all the nations. This goes back to the Old Testament. Let me just pick up one passage. There are many passages in the Old Testament that refer to this. Isaiah 49, 6. And so in Isaiah, he says, it is... It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. So this is God speaking. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. So this is not just for you. There's no no Jewish bubble over the nation Israel that God is only for one group of people. There's no bubble for them. It's for the Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, means all of the rest of us, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This was always God's intention. In fact, way back in Genesis 12, when God made the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant, an agreement with Abraham, and, and God told Abraham that through Abraham and your family line, I am going to bless the earth. It's for all people. And then uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 31 and 32, Simeon met Jesus at the temple when he was eight days old, and he prophesied over Jesus. And he said, uh, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, this is speaking of God, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. And Simeon is saying, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Verse, uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 48, Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. The disciples are eyewitness to the events of Jesus' ministry. They saw his arrest. They saw his suffering. They saw the crucifixion when he was nailed to the cross. And then they saw the resurrection and when he appeared afterwards. And he says, you are my witnesses to these things. We need your customer review. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is another way of saying the Great Commission. And so I want you to understand that this is not the same occasion as Luke chapter 24. This is a different occasion because Jesus appeared to his disciples over a 40-day period and he instructed them. And we only get a very small slice of what he said. This he told his disciples in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There it is. It's for all people baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When a person becomes a follower of Christ, when they believe in Jesus, then they get baptized as a follower of Christ. This is a Christian baptism. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Great promise to the church. Church, if you do these things, I'm right on your side. I'm 
I'm right in your midst. I'm empowering your ministry. But church, if you stop doing these things, you can forget it because I'm not going to be there for you. So, Great Commission, same idea, different situation, different time. Luke condenses everything to make it appear that what is happening here all happens on one day. And we know that Luke doesn't believe that because he's going to write a whole other book to help us understand what did happen on that day. It's more than uh, just that day. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus says, guys, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to be scary because, you know, they might come and arrest you. I want you to stay here until you get what the father has promised, power from on high. And we know it's going to be Jesus sending the Holy Spirit as he promised in John 14 on the night before he was crucified. Now, once the disciples, now, the disciples had to wait 50 days. Do you, do you have that much patience? 50 days before God answered this prayer and sent the Holy Spirit to give them power. Acts chapter 2. The power is so great that the disciples go on the street and they give their customer reviews and 3,000 people come to faith in response to Peter's offer of the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is Luke's story in Acts. Now, if you've been around the bridge a while... About four years ago, we went through all of the Gospel of Mark. And then in three years ago, we went through all of the book of Acts, showing how they fit together. So Acts will immediately follow Luke, written by the same author. Luke wrote both books. And here is a little... Acts chapter 1 tells a lot more of what was happening in our passage in Luke 24. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll share your customer reviews in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses. You'll tell people what you know about Jesus, and you'll tell them what Jesus has done for you. And he gives a model here. You start in Jerusalem. That's your home base. Then you're going to scatter out to Judea and Samaria, and Judea is like that big county around Jerusalem, and Samaria is like that county north of them where they hate to go because they don't like the people there. And then they go to the ends of the earth, which in the first century would be like Rome is about as far away as you can get from Jerusalem, and it's like as far away from God as you can get. And the book of Acts just follows that pattern. It starts in Jerusalem, expands out, expands out, ends up in Rome where Paul is imprisoned. Verses 50 through 53, our final section, the great fulfillment. His location is verse 50, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. 
So Bethany is just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. Just imagine that in your mind. Picture a map in your mind. Bethany and Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So there's Luke's transition time. So what was happening in Luke 24 is not a one-day thing. It's an extended time. Luke doesn't put out markers for us to know. He just changed. Acts 1.12. This is after the ascension. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives because that's where the ascension took place. That's where they're going in Luke chapter 24. A Sabbath day's walk from the city, just a couple of miles from the city of Jerusalem. Now the map. So Bethany and the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem are so close together, it's really hard to put it on a map this size. They are really close. And it's in the vicinity of Bethany. Verse 51, we have his ascension. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Just like that, Luke has the ascension and he's taken up to heaven. This is 40 days after the resurrection. There's still going to be 10 more days before Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes. Okay, for context, let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Luke explains this more. So we just looked at 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him, hid him from their sight. So this is the ascension. Jesus is raised. He ascends to the right hand of God. That's where he is right now. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. He leads his church. He guides our steps. He answers prayer. Next slide. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Next slide. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. That's really good news for us. Jesus is going to return. All the promises, all the promises Jesus gave are yet to come. The prophecies about Jesus are yet to be fulfilled. Verses 52 and 53, our final portion. His movement begins. Jesus' movement begins. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now they get it. Now they believe. Now they have real joy. Now they have hope. Now they will worship and praise God for all the good things that they have experienced, for the impact Jesus has had on their lives 
the promises that, that they, they are to be witnesses and that they're going to advance the kingdom. They have great joy and they just want to praise God. And, and Jesus said, I want you to stay in the city. So they do. They were at the temple in Jerusalem praising God. Now they will follow their leader. Will you and I? Jesus has done what he set out to do from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Now they are doing what he says in obedience. Now they will receive power from on high. They will receive the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to serve Jesus in Acts chapter 2. Now they will go out to the streets of Jerusalem. Now they will share what Jesus has done for them. The church will be ignited in Acts chapter 2, and history will be changed. I am not an eyewitness to the resurrection, and you are not either. But I am a witness to who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I know about his salvation. I know that he answers prayer. I know he gives me strength to live for him. I know that he provides for me and my family. I know uh, he has rebuilt my marriage and give me an enduring love for my wife that humanly I really struggled with at times because I was so self-centered. I know he is coming back one day. He's coming for you and for me. Jesus said... You shall be my witnesses. Are you in? Today we're going to celebrate communion. And as we close the book of Luke, I think it's just a perfect time. We've had this focus on Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection and how it's changed the course of history. Jesus died for you and for me to save us from the penalty of our sins. He's given instructions on how we can worship him, and that includes sharing in communion if you are a follower of Christ. This is what he's given to his church. And we are to take the bread and to remember that the bread represents his body and that he gave it for us and he died for us and he was nailed to a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And the cup represents his blood that was shed on the cross for us, and his blood paid for the penalty of our sins. And Jesus just wants to remind us of that. And periodically we need to do that. And he, and he gave instructions in his word that before we come together in this time, we should examine ourselves. So this is a time when uh, we don't want to worship unless our hearts are right with God. and we, That means that we need to confess our sins. Let us examine ourselves. Are we okay with God? And so God has made that provision that if we just are honest before him and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And we just have that opportunity now just to pause and to thank God for what Jesus did for us.
And just to make sure, if there's any unconfessed sin in our lives, that, that we are honest with God and we, just, we, we confess our sin to Him. You know what? You, you don't have to confess your sin to me. You need to confess your sin to God. He's the one who promises to forgive and to cleanse you, to make you holy in His sight. I'm going to um, just pause for prayer and, and, and I'll give you a time to reflect on your own life and then uh, we'll share in the time of communion. Thank you, Father, for the Gospel of Luke, for another opportunity to learn about Jesus, to see who he is, to hear what he's instructed us, to understand that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sin, and that that wasn't the end. It was really the beginning that he was raised from the grave on the third day, and that is good news. Father, we just want to uh, take time to reflect before we share in communion. We just want to be honest with you. And right now, just ask God to show you if there's anything in your life that you need to confess with him. And God, we're just so grateful for the promise in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. We just acknowledge we don't deserve that. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve forgiveness in our walk with you. But you are so gracious and so merciful. We just thank you. We give you praise. And now we thank you for the bread that is a symbol, that's a reminder that when we hold it in our hands, we can just remember that Jesus gave his life for us. It was his body. And the cup is a reminder that it was his blood. And we can think about this, we can remember this, And as we contemplate, may we humbly thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Father, may um, we as your people live in a way that represents you well as an ambassador for Christ. May our witness for you represent him clearly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So our practice at the bridge is uh, for communion is that if you are a follower of Christ, you, you are welcome to participate with us. You do not have to be a member here. Um, 
And um, we invite you, whenever you're ready, just to come to the front and take the bread and take the cup and then walk back to your seat. And when you're ready, any time after you get the bread and the cup, you can just take it on your time.